to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. on time for church and coming to church today. Um, I always feel very privileged that I am able to preach and deliver the Word of God. In fact, I feel so privileged that I feel stressed. <laughs> but yesterday, I was really praying uh, for... for I, I had the sermon in place, but I was really just tearing in the Spirit. And um, before I start, can I, can I just uh, ask all of us to just pray? I just feel like... Um, I hope that all of us will be able to engage uh, and it's not just dependent on the eloquence of speech or whatever I'm delivering. Yes, that's important, but I am hoping that today we all position our hearts to say, God, I want to receive something and I want to walk out of this place different. I think the truth is this, you can't really get out of this room anymore. It's a bit awkward if you just walk out right now. So you're going to spend the next like one hour here. So let's just make the best out of it, right? <laughs> let's, just, let's just focus on God and let's just ask Him, God, I want to receive something so deep and a, um, a, a deposition in my heart that will just change me and impact me. And as I walk out of this room, I want to know that my life is changed. And I know a lot of times we come to church and it's like, okay, we hear a good sermon, but can I encourage you today that we position ourselves to say, God, I want to receive. I am finding that a river inside of me and I want to get hold of that and I want to jump right in. All right, so I'm just going to make a quick prayer. If you can join me, that would be great. Thank you, Lord. Father of glory, I ask right now that you would come and you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I'm asking that you would help us to find the river as we position ourselves before you. I'm asking, God, that you would come, Holy Spirit, and sweep across this room. You have full permission to do anything, any way that you want to do it. Lord, we are here for you and we behold you and we ask that you will be exalted and lifted high. In Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen. All right. Um, the last time I preached in church was about seven months ago. Uh, in the past seven months, I've been busy being a nun. No, no I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I, I have been busy learning how to be a wife. Uh, we got married about seven months ago in November. Some of you, uh, you were there. Um, we have had a very adventurous marriage uh, in our honeymoon. Jason actually went on the ski slope. Okay, la, it's my fault, okay? Uh, I encouraged him. I was like, Jason, if you want to go into another level of your spirituality, you must conquer another mountain. Would you like to go up to the highest slope? And then he was like, I think the one. La. Then I'll be, I'm like the, the woman, right? I'm like, uh, just try lah, just try lah. Then I'll be upset lah. I'm like, yeah, just try lah. So being the very nice husband, he's like, okay, I will go up and I want to conquer this mountain in my life. So we went up and uh, we had lunch up there. He was a bit scared, but it's okay. I was like, come on, you can do it. We're in this together. And then half, when we went down the mountain, I saw the look on his face change a bit. He, his face from a bit happy, like from happy, yeah, turned into like a bit like, uncertain okay so we were going down the slope and he fell a few times of which he did way better than I did when I started out right so I felt like way worse than him he fell maybe about five times and so on the sixth time he was 10 meters up there and I was like waiting for him down the slope and then I saw him um like go down like that and then suddenly his legs like split and he fell in a pizza way like that. and I was like <laughs> that looked very funny I was like wow that's kind of funny Okay, bad wife. Uh, but no, I was like, <laughs> and then he didn't hear, like, of course, we're 10 meters apart, right? But then I saw him, and then his leg, right? He was like, babe, my leg, my leg. And he was shouting on, uh, across the mountain. And I was like, what in the world just happened? And I, when I looked at him, right, his leg was literally like dangling. Like, like it was like in a very awkward position. And I thought his, he, he broke his leg, you know. So I, I dislodged my skis and I ran up. And I was like, almost going to cry. And I said, what happened to you? And then he was like, I cannot move. And so like, like um, um, we had snowboarders, Japanese snowboarders come down. They, they helped to call the SOS. And then we had people kayaking him down the, the slope. And before that, I had a friend who sent us a video. She said, you know, you guys should try kayaking down the slope. And we really achieved it. If you want to see what happened, you can look at my vlog. Uh, we vlogged our honeymoon. So it's been an amazing uh, adventure. Uh, he's getting better. And now he is in uh, Korea. He's at the DMZ zone. Um, well, basically, um, in the middle of North and South Korea, and they're praying for the unification of both countries. So just keep him in prayer. 
um, and he'll be back tomorrow. All right, today I want to talk about knowing God. Say yay! yay. I want to talk about knowing God, all right? And you know, there's this story, there's this church, right? Um, and a group of pastors that was actually looking for a specific pastor to speak at the conference, okay? And this whole entire group of pastors, they're like, okay, we're going to hunt for this specific pastor who can speak really well and really short. And so they went to this particular church, they sat down, and the pastor spoke, and he spoke for 10 minutes. And the pastors were like, great, this is the kind of pastor that I want for our conference, so, so they went up to him and said, Hey, Pastor, can you just come to our, our conference? We really want you here. In fact, can you just come to our leaders' meeting first? Uh, our leaders would like to hear from you first. So a week later, this pastor was invited to a leaders' meeting in their church. Okay, and there and then he spoke for 30 minutes. And the leaders were like, Wow, 30 minutes. Okay, can, can be tolerated. 30 minutes. Not bad. Okay, so he said, Okay, let's invite him for our conference. Okay, and so the pastor's invited say, can you please come and speak for our conference? And during the first uh, session of the conference, this pastor spoke for two hours, all right? And so the pastors were very boggled. They were like, why in the, I mean, like the first time I met you, you spoke for 10 minutes. The, the second time you spoke for half an hour, that was still okay. But this time around, I invite you for a massive conference and you speak for two hours, so the, and then the, the, the pastor answered him and said, well, on the first time that I spoke, I had a new pair of dentures. So I managed 10 minutes. It was painful. I managed 10 minutes. The second time, I got more comfortable with my, my dentures. So I spoke for half an hour. But the third time, actually today, I woke up and I couldn't see properly. And I took my wife's dentures and I put them on. And ever since I put them on, I couldn't stop talking. <laughs> I can say because I'm a, I'm a female. But, um, you know, th- before you actually get offended, uh, our husbands, uh, don't laugh too much. You're not tonight, you will get it. You'll sleep in the living room. But I'm here to talk about stereotypes today. Getting married has taught me a lot about stereotypes. I thought that getting married would be like, you know, you bathe, a female bathes and it takes longer to get ready, right? Right? So I'm like, okay, I will, like, uh, I will prepare half an hour. But when I moved in with Jason, I realized that he bathes three times longer than I do. I'm like, really? What do you do in the toilet? You know, and there are a lot of stereotypes that we have about people, right? Gender stereotypes, uh, stereotypes about each other. And today I want to talk about this thing about knowing God. A lot of times we stereotype God. We stereotype Him to be a demanding God. We stereotype him to be an angry God. Not that he doesn't have righteous anger. He does have righteous anger. But we, are, we think that, oh, God is always waiting with a, a rod and he's going to smite me whenever I make a mistake. Or we think about God being distant and absent. And we have a certain stereotype about God based on our own lack of comprehension. And I'm, I'm wondering, what? If I ask you guys to raise up your hands this morning, I wonder what kind of different impressions we have of God. Like, what really is our innate view of God? I want to talk about this because I think it's so important. The way we see God and the way we view Him translates into how we live our lives. It's so important. It's, it's, it's really the centrality of our Christian faith. How we see God determines how we live our lives. It determines how we react to people, how we react to God. And this is the fundamental issue that the church should be speaking about. Amen? I don't want to stereotype God. I really don't want to. I don't want to be so boxed up in uh, a view of God that I'm so closed up and not open to people's, other people's views about God. I want to know who he is for who he is. And, and I was praying for, for, for this sermon today. I felt like God was saying, Cons, I want the city church to come to a place of connecting and communing with me in the most intimate place. In a place where, you know, we can hear a lot about people and we can know them. But when we talk about knowing, knowing somebody, not just acknowledgement, but in the deep place of experiential knowledge, it's a different thing altogether. And I think, you know, that the, the knowledge of God and knowing God is the a most amazing thing. It's like God could create the Christian faith any way He wanted, right? But He created it this way that knowing God in the light of eternity is the greatest equalizer. 
I repeat that again. Knowing God in the light of eternity is the greatest equalizer. Why do I say that? Whether you are a pauper, whether you are an auntie on the streets selling tissue paper, whether you are somebody who is a, a billionaire with a foundation uh, of, to, to give to charities, whatever stage you are at, whether you are a student, whether you are a, somebody working in the corporate world, our capacity to know God in the light of eternity is the same. It is the same. Meaning if you, are, if you are living your last two months of your life as compared to a babe going to know God, you, it's, it's the greatest equalizer because at every stage of your life, whether you are smart in your intellect or not, you can know God. It's not confined to your mind. It's not confined to your ability to comprehend. It's an innate connection. Right, And I, I feel like today, God really wants us to be able to live that life and say, God, I want to commune with you. I want to know you for who you are and not what people say you are. It's not enough to know a sermon and hear a preacher preach about who God is and go back home on a Monday and Tuesday. If the sermon is really good, we last until Tuesday or Wednesday. But Thursday and Friday, we live a life that is bankrupt from the Spirit of God and the knowledge of God. You see, I love this because I have a holy dissatisfaction. And I say, God, I really want to reach in and know who you really are. It's very easy to preach about God and agree about the facts of God, but to know it inside of us is a different thing altogether. I want to I wanna just, uh, just show you this word. It's yada. To know is yada. Y-A-D-A, right? And it means, to, it means to know, to perceive, to know intimately, to understand, and to experience. And I want to give you a few examples. You don't have to turn to it. But in Genesis 4.1, it states that Adam knew Eve, right? And so Adam, in, in, the, in the Bible, it means Adam yada Eve. In this, in this context, it means that Adam knew Eve intimately to the extent that it was a sexual relationship and it was, it was founded on a covenant of commitment and affections. It's that deep. Knowing is that deep. It's not just, I know you, I acknowledge you. It's that intimate communion. So that is between men and women, right? Or men and men. But there is another form of yada, which is um, God-knowing men. So when, when we talk about God knowing Abraham, he says, for I have known, bracket, chosen, you, uh, chosen him. The emphasis is on the fact that God knew Abraham personally and intimately. In this case, God yada him. Chose him intimately, right? And the third one is this, us knowing God. Yada also speaks of men yada God. In Exodus 33, 13, Moses asked the Lord to teach him his way so that he may yada him. To know Him is to have an experiential knowledge of God. I want to break it down for you. Knowing God in our English language has many meanings, meaning, but in the biblical term, it has even more meaning and, and translations. And when we talk about yada, it's an intimate knowing. It's a heart-to-heart connection. It's a, it's a place of intimacy. And I pray that today, that as we talk about God, that you will walk out of this place and you say, God, I want to know you. I'll be really honest that I feel inadequate to speak about this this morning. I feel like it's not, it's not driven by the pulpit, but it's driven by the hunger that is inside of you. And only the Holy Spirit can deposit that inside of you this morning. And I, I say, God, I want, I want, I want, I want. Imagine a church that really lays hold of God and moves into that place of knowing Him and experiencing Him in the fullness of Him. I tell you, it's, it's amazing. It's, we're going to live a very, very powerful life. Amen? So I just want to turn you to the first scriptures, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. That the Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of His glory, and His inheritance in the saints. I want to read that again. It's so good. right? It says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the what? In the knowledge of Him, in the eyes of your understanding, 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. I want to lay forth something that's gripping my heart in this season, and it's um, the fact that I want to see a generation move from a place of religiosity to a spirit of revelation. I repeat that again. I want to see a generation move from a place of religion to a place of revelation. When I say religion, hear me out, all right? My opinion about religion is not our obligation to do the things that are routine and mundane or traditions. It's not that. I believe that religion is basically being able to agree with the facts of God and say things about God, but these things that we say and we agree does not penetrate into our hearts and impact the way we live our lives. But when you meet somebody who encounters a spirit of revelation, they don't just read the Bible from a third party's point of view anymore. If you read Revelations, if you read what John experienced, you're not going to stand outside and say, oh wow, that was what John experienced. But you will go inside, you are caught up in Revelation and you're caught up in the story and it becomes your story. I, I don't want just to live a life based on religion. I want to live based on revelation, fresh manner every day. I don't want to live stale. I want to live fresh. Say, I want to live fresh. I want to live from the revelation of God. And you know what? The amazing thing is this. When you touch somebody that has touched the spirit of revelation, they will tell you, I don't know anything about God. Because the moment you think you know something about God, God is so magnificent. He's so, His attributes are innumerous. When you touch the real spirit of revelation, you realize that you don't know anything. And that's when you touch sanity. That's when you touch the real thing about God and, and Christianity. I tell you something. We can't live our lives based on religion. In a world that is so infused with relativism and postmodernism, we can't live our lives not knowing who God is. We have to live on, on fresh manner and revelation every single day. Amen? Amen. You know, in Philippians 3, this is what Paul experienced. I wonder what he saw to the extent that he's able to say, you know, I count all these things as lost that I may gain Christ. And it's amazing because Paul wrote Ephesians, right? And when Paul wrote this scripture, it's to a church that's not just like new believers or like, you know, meh, right? But, but this church actually moved in the powers of God. They actually knew who the love of God. They were functioning at a certain level, with God. But Paul says, this is not enough. He says, I'm gripped with it and I, I want to see the Father of glory impact and infect the church. He's saying that, I want to move you from a place of just knowing about God to this vast ocean of finding more about God and being lost in the revelation of God. You see, Paul was gripped by it. I want to turn you to that scripture. He says, the yeah, this is like power-packed scripture, right? Every two words, right, you see like, wow, it's like a booms kind of word, lah, all right? Booms, all right? And it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that in itself is a sermon. But he says this, the Father of glory, right? The Father of glory. <laughs> I love that. This is weighty stuff. And what he's saying is this. He's standing before the throne of God and he's taking the Ephesian church and he says, God, you are light. You are unapproachable light. You are the father of glory. You, you're not just a torch light. You're not just like a flicker of light. You don't just embody light. You are light. And he says, father of glory. Would you give to the church the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they will not be bored by you, they will not be lost and stagnating in their lives, but they will behold you and they will know you in the knowledge of Him, right? It's a powerful phrase. And it changes the way we live. James, in James, God is referred to the Father of lights. In Hebrews, He's referred to the Father of spirits. In Psalms 104, it says, God wraps himself in light. When, when, when Paul was looking at God as the father of glory, he was highlighting a, a particular aspect about God that he saw and that is so powerful. He says, father of glory. First John says that God is light. Like I said, he's not just a flicker, he is light. 
Let that, let that sink in for a while. God, all these things that you see now, this is not true light. When you look at God, He is the unapproachable light. He is the source of everything. He's the reason why we live. He, based on His Word, He can just say die and everything in this world will, will cease to exist. He is light. He's the Father of glory. And when we read this, read this scripture, we say, God, will you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation? We don't want to just base our Christian walk on religion, but revelation. Amen? And I love this scripture because each phrase is like a, it's like a Pacific Ocean, if you will. Right? It's like, you know, many times we read, read the Bible and we are like, okay... That the law of God uh, give me spirit of wisdom, revelation, uh, and then we're like, okay, great. But this scripture is like it's a Pacific Ocean that you can dive into and read the Word of God and let it resonate inside of you. Let it be a spirit of wisdom and revelation inside of you. It's like this, all right. We are a church and we are we are crazy people. But the moment we got saved, it's like we went on a, a boat at the harbor. But imagine you have a, a a boat, right? And you step into the boat. And what this scripture is, is this. Paul is praying for the Holy Spirit to actually cut off the, 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 the line or the anchor, if you will, to the harbour. You, you are stepping into a boat, but the, the, the chain is still chained to the harbour. But when Paul is praying this prayer, he's saying, Holy Spirit, will you cut off that chain so that the church would sail into the Pacific Ocean and be lost in knowing you? In knowing God. And it's a vast ocean. It's moving into a place where you will never be bored by God. We sometimes are boring. We think God is boring, but honestly, sometimes we are the boring ones. We don't have the capacity to behold God and to see God in who He really is. But imagine if we swim in that Pacific Ocean and we say, God, I want to know you. I want the, the experiential knowledge of you. I don't just want it to be cognitive. I want it to sink into my heart. And I believe that this is the prayer and it's a very powerful prayer. So if you can pray this at home, it will be great. And I love it because when we see God through the spirit of wisdom and revelation, we can see the same aspect about God for the 10th billion time, but it's as if we have never seen it that way before. I want to I look at God that way. I don't want to get familiar with His presence. I don't want to just worship Him and say, God, you are holy. Week two, you are holy. Week three, you are holy. Week four, you are holy. It's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to escalate. It's supposed to be exponential revelation about God. The moment we don't feed on revelation, the church dies. What are you feeding on this morning? Are you feeding on manna that the pastor is preaching? Are you feeding on songs? Or are you feeding on the real revelation of God? It's so important. I want to turn you to Revelations 4. Revelations 4, my, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Revelations 4, let's read it. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Verse 2. Immediately, I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne sat in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass, say sea of glass, like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Amen. Amen. You know, here, John had a, a, a moment where he experienced God in a different realm. Here, John was taken up in the spirit and God said to him, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. You see, God is an uncreated God, right? Yes? In Him, there is no beginning and there is no end. You can trace back all you want and you can't find a beginning to God because God it's just God. There is no end in God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. But here he, he, called, he called John up and he says, John, come up here. I want to show you things that are happening in a realm that you have not experienced before. And can I make this disclaimer that it is still happening right now as I preach, as we sit here, as we worship Him. This reality is still happening in heaven. Ever since the heavens were created, this reality has been happening. You say, Cons, how do I know what God looks like? Here, the Bible tells you what He looks like. Cons, how do I know whether I feel like worshipping Him? I don't feel like worshipping Him. I don't know, man, but when you read this, you will want to worship Him. And it's amazing because in this moment, you know, the, the heavens were created by God, right? He's the uncreated one. And he's so humble that he created heaven and he created a throne to sit on the throne. Think about that for a moment. Heaven didn't exist like before God, right? God created heaven. And so heaven is no good without God. The fact that he's so, he creates a throne for him to sit on the throne is like humility, Heaven has a reality going on right now and sometimes we don't, we're not even caught up in it. So, of course, we can't worship Him in the spirit of wisdom and revelation. But when we are caught up in that, we live a very different life. It says, Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. Not two, not three, not four, not five. One God. One God set on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. Jasper and sardius are basically red color stones. It's fiery, hot looking stones. And this, this explains Revelations 1 when we talk about God having eyes of fire. He's the burning God. He, he revealed himself as a burn, in the burning bush to Moses. He is the burning God and he contains desire and he burns with desire. And there is a, there's a, a rainbow around the throne. It looks like emerald. Emerald is green. It's like glassy, jadish kind of green. There's a rainbow around the throne, right? And if you read verse 4, it says, Around the throne were 24 thrones. Self-explanatory. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And I love verse 5. It says, From the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were before the throne of God, which are the seven spirits of God. A lot of times we think that when we worship God, yes, He's lovey-dovey and all of that. But do you know that the throne that He sits on and the reality in heaven, it is beaming and is booming with thunders and lightnings. He is powerful. He is mighty. The God that you serve is not a wimpy God. He's not somebody that just is there to comfort you or, you know, like, like hey, are you okay? No, He's not. He's loving. Yes, He is, but He's powerful. Who has a throne with lightnings all around? And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Imagine the throne before you and you're standing here and in front of you is a sea of glass like crystal. This is what the throne of God looks like. And in the midst of the throne, I love this, it says there were four living creatures, right? The, the creatures had full of eyes in front, in back, and in other versions it says within and without. Very weird, right? We have two eyes already. Have you had any friends who have a third eye? 
I mean, if you see somebody with a third eye, it'll be really weird. But these creatures literally have eyes plastered all over their face and millions and millions and millions of eyes. Why? Why is God so crazy as to create creatures with so many eyes? I think I'm like, when I read the scripture, I'm like, God, you're actually quite weird. You're quite eccentric. Like, why? And the very reason is this. He created these creatures to behold Him. Eyes are used to behold beauty and the things of God. They're plastered, not just outside. eh. Inside also have eyes. eh. I'm like, what? In the intestines? I don't even know if they have intestines, but, but inside they have eyes. Without, they have eyes. And outside, inside, wherever, right? And it says that, um, the first living creature was like a lion. Okay, like that's not weird enough that you have eyes all around and within and thousands and millions of eyes. The first one looked like a lion. The second one, help me out. Looked like a calf, right? The third one looked like a man and the fourth one looks like an eagle. I'm not going to go into why they look like this. There will be another sermon altogether. But the four living creatures have six wings. Very weird-looking creatures. There are six wings. You know what the six wings are for? Two are meant to cover their eyes. When God reveals a certain aspect about Him, they cover their eyes because they're like, God, you're so holy. Your light is so, is so penetrating. I have to cover my eyes. The, the other two wings are meant to fly. These, these creatures are called seraphims. Say seraphims. They are called the burning ones. But the last two are meant to create a floor for them to prostrate as they worship God. Amazing, huh? Two to cover your eyes, two to fly, and two to cover your feet as you worship God and prostrate. You see, these angels, God created them and put them there to behold His beauty. I'd like to say this, whether we worship Him or not, these creatures are worshipping God. So I think I want to join in the party, right? There is a 24-7 party going on in heaven and I want to join in the worship and, 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 and the party that's going on. He is worthy and He's exalted. But the amazing thing is this, every time they behold Him, God reveals a certain aspect about Himself. When we talk about the glory of God, it's not just some cloud. It's not some dust. It's not some flaky kind of thing, right? The glory of God is the characteristics of God. That's why when Moses saw God in his glory, he was able to say, God, you are abounding in mercy. You are, you, are, you are faithful to the generations. He's able to describe a certain aspect about God. Every time we encounter God at an altar call, you walk away and you're able to describe a certain aspect and characteristic about God, yes? The glory of God is not just a flaky thing. It is a knowledge about his characteristics and who he is. And so, he reveals himself. He's sitting on that throne. And every single time, he, he reveals a certain aspect about himself and characteristic. The angels and the seraphims, they, they, their eyes are like, like they just shut down. Because the glory of God is so powerful, they behold. But once it's revealed, they just shut down and they cannot function. They cannot function and it shuts down and they fall to their knees. And the Bible says that the elders take off their crowns and they put it on the feet of Jesus and they bow down and they say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This has been happening for thousands and thousands and thousands of years ever since the heavens were created. And it's happening right now. I don't know about you, but... You know, when we have a high view about God, we live our lives very different. We don't calculate the cost anymore. We don't have to come to church every Sunday and say, you know, uh, I must calculate this cost. Yes, we have to calculate the cost. But when you give your life and abandon it to God because you see the worth of God, you don't recalculate your decision anymore. And I, I, I'm, I'm challenging and I'm calling the church and I say, church, would you live a life that would be so saturated in the view of God and the knowledge of God that you will not have to count the cost, but you will say, God, I will abandon my life. I will give everything and I will live for you. It's a lot more fun this way. It's not fun coming to church when you know that we are all like half past six. Nobody likes to do life that way. But when you are in a community of people that says, I will give everything, Will you give everything? 
Come on, Gideon, if you're going to give everything, I'm going to give everything. I'm going to sell everything and I'm going to give all my possessions to the poor and share it with you. But the moment, the moment Gideon says, ah, maybe not, it affects me, right? And I want to be part of a community that says, God, you are so powerful. I see what you are like. And I want to give everything. Do you know something? The angels and the seraphims are not chained up to the throne of God. They are not chained up. God didn't say, Seraphim, you better stay here and behold my beauty. He doesn't do that. But they are so attracted to glory and the characteristic and the glory of God that they say they, they they can't do life any other way. They are just stuck there for all eternity because this is their preoccupation and their obsession and their possession. God is their one thing. Do you know that we have the privilege of worshipping Him right now on earth as it is in heaven? The amazing thing is this. The angels, it's like, God is so powerful, I'll just worship Him. But here on earth, I like what Andre said. It costs us something. We have to make a choice to live the abandoned life. And this is the privilege we have on earth. That we get to worship Him in pain. That we, we get to worship Him in, in suffering. We get to worship Him when we don't understand. When we don't see the end of the tunnel, we get to worship Him. There will be a day, guys. There will be a day where you will worship Him like the angels and the seraphims. They will be glorious. But now, we get to worship Him. I want to I show you what worship looks like. And also, through the life of Paul, and this is my last point, but it might be a long last point. Um, but the life of Paul is amazing because Paul saw something about God. Yes? He saw something about God on the road to Damascus, whatever it is. He saw something about God. And because he was able to say, I see something about God, he was able to live an abandoned life. This is me being vulnerable, right? Um, I don't know about you, but I live within the tension of where I am now and who I think I should be or who I want to be. How many of you experience that? And I get very, very frustrated I'm like, is this the kind of life I'm supposed to live for the rest of my life? Come to church on Sunday, do house of prayer Tuesday, Wednesday. Is this the kind of life I'm supposed to live? And I, I live in that tension. I'm like, is this what abandonment is? There is this like, I don't know about you, but there's this inkling inside of me that says, Cons, why don't you just try living a life that's abandoned? You know that crazy moment of spontaneity? But it's not spontaneity, it's like the Holy Spirit calling it inside of you. Like, cause why don't you just live a life abandoned and don't think about what other people think or your own reputation? Why don't you just live it? And I'm like, yeah, why, why can't I? And I believe that the more we see who God is, the more we are able to live that life of abandonment. Turn with me to Philippians 3 verse 7. I love this scripture. I've been meditating on this for the past six to seven months. And it's, it's inside of me. I hope it comes out. But, um, you know, when I talk about abandonment, I have some friends, they sell everything that they have. Uh, they move their whole family and they actually pray for, for the refugees to encounter God. And they pray and they worship and they shift the atmospheres. And after praying and worshiping, they will go into the camps and they will minister the love of God to people. And a lot of times... These, these um, refugees would tell them that they have had a man in white come into their dreams and, and tell them about how much he loves them. But I think about that and I'm like, wow, God, these people are living an abandoned life and I want to I wanna be able to say to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen? I, I want to share with you a good story. Can I do that? His name is Peter, right? And so what Peter does is that he goes and he will go back and forth, back and forth. But what they do is actually they pray and they shift atmospheres before they actually preach the gospel. And so this story is amazing. I just want to release it to encourage you and have built up faith in your inner man, all right? Um, they pray and they preach, they pray, they preach, they pray, they preach. So there was this story about this guy called David, all right? And for every single day for a month, right? There'll be a knock on the door, and after dinner, like after 7 plus, 8 o'clock, there'll be a knock on the door, and he'll open the door, and a man who's dressed in white will stand at the door, and he will ask to be invited in into his living room. And so this guy, like, okay, you know, I'll just welcome you in. Come in, lah. And so he will come in, and he will sit with um, David 
for an entire month, every single night, and give him like words to write on a piece of paper. So after one month, uh, my friend Peter went to visit David. And he says, you know, David says, you know, for the past one month, I've been having this stranger come into my house that we've become friends. And he's been telling me a lot, a lot of things. And I've been writing it down. And so um, Peter was like, uh, okay, so what, what, what have you been writing? And so David passed Peter the, the piece of paper, right? And when, when Peter read it, it was literally, in the beginning, was the word. The word was God, with God, blah, blah, blah. It was literally the whole gospel of John word for word. And he didn't even know that it was Jesus until Peter told him that that is Jesus who has been walking into your room and telling you and giving you the gospel. Guys, God is real. He's not just somebody that sits on the throne, but he, he, he is manifesting himself in person, in fully man and fully God, and it's really happening. It's really happening. It is worth pursuing it. Amen? Let's read Philippians 3 from verse 7. It says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Verse 9 and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but the righteousness that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. My heart has been really gripped by this scripture. I love it when it says, but what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. And when Paul says this, I imagine what he saw in God that made him be able to say everything, all my accolades, all my, my prized possessions, everything in my life, God, I can count it as loss. Yet indeed, and he, as if it's not enough, he says, yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. God has been speaking to me about this for the past six months and something really shifted when I was at Azusa. You know, you guys know Azusa, right? The call. 100,000 people were there if you are in the Christian scene, it's kind of like, it's a historical moment. All your charismatic leaders are there. Heidi Baker, Bill Johnson, Lou Engel, all of the power pack people are there. And I stood there and I was like, oh, this is really historic and powerful. But, but in that moment, then, okay, there were many moments because it's 10 hours long. So I had many moments. Uh, I feel like sleeping, then wake up, raining, uh, then you're wet, then you dry up again, and then you pray again. But I was standing there and then I saw Heidi Baker. Because it's 10 hours long, right? Not all the pastors would be standing there the whole entire time. They take shifts. And so she was there and she was laid down on the floor and she was prostrating and she was worshipping him as if like nobody was looking at her. She worshipped God there, I believe, the same way she would worship God in Mozambique. And I was standing there and God said to me, Cons, what do you think got her to this place of abandonment? And I said... I don't really know, but I know that she gave everything for Christ to the extent of like doing missions in Hong Kong and her daughter got raped by somebody that she brought into the church, uh, into her house. And I'm like, okay. And he says, yes, but what else? And so the next day, interestingly, I had a paradigm shift again because, you know, Lou Engel, right? He's the one who actually did the call. He's amazing. For like 11 hours, he was on stage like rocking and praying and his voice was still like intact, right? But the next day, we had a leaders meeting and he was sharing. This changed me, all right? More than the 11 hours that he, was on st he had on stage, he shared this. He said that, oh, actually, uh, Therese, his wife, went on stage and said, you know, I want to just honour Lou. Um, he is the same person that he is on stage in that 11 hours as he is in his bedroom and how he preaches and how he prays for the nation for revival. And he says that every single day he would take a donut and a coffee and go into his car 
and then he would just rock his way <laughs> and pray for revival every single day. So what you see for 11 hours on that stage is really what he does in his secret place. But like that, that, like that was not enough. He, he went on to share like a matter of fact, right? That his dad was actually on his deathbed uh, two days before Azusa. And so the doctor said that your dad um, might not have a chance to live. And the father said to him, Lou, I paraphrase, Lou, it's either God takes me up this today on Azusa, on Azusa on April 9th, or I will live to see a nation praying for revival and that revival will really come to America. And Lou went for the call knowing that his dad might have passed on that day. And I'm like, that makes sense. 11 hours of prayer, calling 100,000 people, it's not just, a, a, it's not just a, a number, it's not just an event, it's not just a historical event, but one man chose to give everything up for the cause of revival. Heidi Baker, Mozambique, you see missions and church plants happening all around. But in that, in that, there was a moment of abandonment where the cost was counted and she chose to give it up. Imagine your own daughter being raped by somebody that you brought in. And you go up to that person and ask for forgiveness to say that, you know, I'm sorry that I, 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 I was angry with you. Moms and dads, if you have a child, you will know how that feels. There is a cost to discipleship. There is a cost to this Christianity that we live. It's not just, it's not just celebrity kind of Christianity. And I, I, when, I was, when I was preparing this message, I felt like God wanted me to apologize on behalf of the church in Singapore and any ministry that you've been part of that exalts celebrity pastors or Christianity. A lot of times we exalt the best worship leader, the best voice, um, the person that has the best sermon is articulated, but we forget that in a secret place, when people have seen the, the, the worth of God, they have given up things in their lives that no man will, main, I mean, no man will ever applaud you for. But does it mean to say that God does not see it? I, I believe He sees it. I believe that these decisions, when you are young, as a student, when you, when in your workplace, when you choose to stand up for God and integrity in faithfulness, He really counts that as a reward and an inheritance. But the lie of the enemy tells you that, no, it doesn't matter. All you have to do is just put on facades. And you know, sometimes because of the bankruptcy of our spirituality, we, we put on a front. But I look at Heidi Baker and I'm like, she's amazing. But there was a cost. She worshipped God like nobody saw her. Lou Engel, his worship to God was literally, you leave your father and mother and you pursue something, you know. Am I able to do that? I don't know. But do I want to? I want to. I want to be able to see the worth of God so much that I can give up everything in my life and count them as rubbish. The Bible says in the message version, Paul says, I count all these things as dog dung. That's a harsh word. All your reputation, your wealth, your, your, your prized possessions, are we able to say that in the light of knowing God, in the light of pursuing Him, I count this as rubbish. I think the earlier the church realizes this and comes to that reality, the more powerful we will become. I love it when I went to Bethel during the same trip, right? I was there and I was like, wow, this community is amazing. The open heavens here is crazy. But I thought about it and I was like, God, what brought a community to this place? And God spoke to me again. He said, he said to me, Cons, what do you think is the price that Bill Johnson paid for revival? Hmm. Can I read you a story about Bill? After one such trip in 1995, I began to cry out to God day and night for about eight months. My prayer was, God, I want more of you at any cost. I will pay any price. Then one night in October, God came in and answered my prayer, but not in a way I had expected. I went from being in a dead sleep to being wide awake in a moment. Unexplainable power began to pulsate through my body and, ex and extremely powerful being seemed to have entered the room and I could not function in his presence. My arms and legs shot out in silent explosions as this power was released through my hands and my feet. The more I tried to stop it, the worse it got. How many of you have experienced that before? 
I heard no voice, nor did I have any visions. This was the, the most overwhelming experience of my life. It was raw power. Say raw power. It was God. He had come in response to my prayer I had been praying. As I lay there, I wondered if these experiences would continue, and if so, if they would strike an undesirable, moment, an undesirable moment. I had a mental picture of myself standing before my congregation, teaching from God's Word, and as I love to do, but with my arms and legs flailing about as though I had serious physical and emotional problems. Then I saw myself walking down the main street of our town in front of my favorite restaurant in the same condition. I didn't know anyone would believe that this was from God. But then... I recall Jacob and his encounter with the angel of the Lord. There he wrestled with him throughout the night. He lived for the rest of his life after meeting with God. And then there was Mary, the mother of Jesus. She had an experience with God that even her fiancé could not believe that it was true. It took a visit from an angel to help him change his mind. As a result, she bore the, the Christ child. Although she bore a stigma for the remainder of her days as the mother of an illegitimate child. Tears began to soak my pillowcase as he reminded me of my prayers over the previous months, contrasting to make an exchange, an increased manifestation of his presence in exchange for my dignity and my reputation. After all, I had prayed at any cost. You know, trading everything in exchange for God is the best decision we can ever make. Bill Johnson said, God, I want revival at any cost. And once, because a man in our modern age paid for that, we see movements of revival happening from Reading, America, and, and all that. You know, but one man decided that it was worth it all. Lou Engel thought that it was worth it all. Heidi Baker thought that it was worth it all. I, I asked myself, do I think it's worth it all? Scripture, I just want to turn you to... Um, verse 10, it says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Say, power of his resurrection. And in the fellowship of his suffering. Can I make one last point and elaborate a bit more? Knowing God is not just an acknowledgement. It's not just um, knowing him in communion. I mean, yes, it's all that. But knowing God has a deeper reality. It's knowing Him in the power of His resurrection and in the fellowship of His suffering. A lot of times, we talk about the power of His resurrection. We don't talk about the fellowship of His suffering. But you know that if you only talk about the power of His resurrection and not the fellowship of His suffering, you live a life that is very um, uncompassionate, very unrelatable. You know, people who are suffering, they want people who have suffered before to speak to them. It's as simple as that. But if we only talk about suffering, the danger is that we pride our spirituality on how much we flog ourselves and look for, hey, hey make, just beat me, lah, beat me. I want to live a life that's very sad. Then I'm very spiritual. Hmm. But the thing is this, you cannot know God if you only zoom in on one aspect. If you know the power of His resurrection without His suffering, you live a very uncompassionate and unrelatable life. If you only know Him in the fellowship of His suffering and not in the power of His resurrection, you live a very powerless life. And we miss the whole entire point of Christianity because our faith is built on the fact that He resurrected, right? I'm not going to go too much into suffering, but can I, can I share something that's very intimate? Um, I want to share the what I deem suffering to be. I promise I'm not going to go into like a theological debate. But I had one night, and I'll end with this. I was um, crying. <laughs> Sounds very wimpy. But I was, I was at one point in my life, and I'm like so tired of everything that's going on, I went into a whining mode. I was like, God, why? Why at the age of six and five years old, you have to take my mother away? Why do you have to do this? Why do you have to like... like just overwhelm me with all these pains of life, right? And then, so Jason was there, of course, in her bedroom. I was like crying. And then I was going on and on. Of course, there's more to it, but I won't elaborate. Um, and he said, Cons, just be of good cheer. Just, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. And I said, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. I said, why do I deserve this? Why do I deserve pain in my life? Why do I deserve to like suffer this way? Why do I deserve to experience like pain? And he said, this is a low blow answer, which I really detested. He said, 
I know it's a low blow answer and you don't want to hear this, but the truth is, when Jesus was on the cross, he also didn't deserve it. Then, my, my face like that, he was there. <laughs> he's, like, he's like talking, uh, John, I'm like, <laughs> he's like talking there, right? I'm like, whatever. So, in my head, I'm like, Jialat. I know that this is making sense and it's going somewhere, but for one minute, I just didn't give a response. Just, I just like, look this way. Then he just patiently waited behind. And I was like, okay. And then in that moment after one minute, right, God said something to me that, that changed my way of how I looked at suffering and pain. He said this, he said, Cons, I have shed in your suffering all this while. In your pain, in your moments where you didn't understand, I was there, yes? But now, would you share in mine? In that moment, Suffering didn't seem like it was a taboo. It was like, it was a privilege. Why is it a privilege? I, you know, if I'm friends with Christine, oh yeah, because I'm friends with Christine, right? Um, we go out for meals and we share, we share life together and our, our relationship is at this level. But the moment I share pain and suffering with Christine, of which we have, our relationship goes up to another level altogether. You know how we encourage us to be vulnerable towards each other? We're like, we have to build an authentic community, transparent, blah, blah, blah. But you know when you commit, when you, when you fall into sin, like for example, if you fall into pornography or something, it's very hard to tell somebody about it. It's very painful, it's very vulnerable, right? It's like somebody strips you naked and sees everything inside of you, the mess the horrible stuff inside, and you're like, no, just, just take it, just, just see, right? And it's already very painful, right? Just confessing one thing is very painful. But can I tell you one thing that Jesus was blameless, he had no sin, but he came to earth and he died on the cross for us. He bore himself naked. He was at his most transparent and vulnerable state with men. He invites us into another level of relationship. When he says, would you share in the fellowship of my suffering? It's not enough to live a life just knowing his power, but we have to see the privilege of partaking in that most vulnerable moment of our king when he was naked and he bore the cross and he says, would you share in my most vulnerable moment? I am the king of heaven and earth, but he exhibited humility and he says, Gideon, will you share in that, that, the fellowship of my suffering? Will you share you know, you know, great men and women share in the fellowship of his suffering and they abandon everything and that's why they live that kind of life. That's why they're able to say, God, anything, I'll take anything. And so every single day for every hour, right, the father and the brother will go into the room and bash him up for two weeks. Um, for the first few days, he really couldn't take it. And he prayed and he said, God, I don't want to receive this pain anymore. I want to I fight back. But one day he heard an audible voice speaking to him and said, Son, don't retaliate. Respond in love. And so he just bore that pain and suffering and he just went through it. And I love it because, you know, when we meet people like that, right? The moment we say, hey, it's okay lah, never mind one, never mind one. So poor thing, oh, you, you have to suffer for God. So poor thing eh. Do you know that we quench the fire in them? We quench the fire. That's why as a church, we need to rejoice. When a fellow sister or brother suffers, we have to rejoice. The moment we say, Ayo, you're so poor thing. Never mind lah. Just live simply. No need to so kankon. We quench the fire. I know that when Paul suffered, he led by example. He, out of everyone, suffered the most. But he says, all this suffering, it pales in comparison in the light of knowing him. Suffering in our context might look very different. It might look like betrayal. It might look like accusation in your workplace when you're doing the right thing and your, 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 your employees actually just talk behind your back. It might look like you standing up for God and in school, people shoot you down and say, oh, yo, why are you so holy? It might look like many, many different things like betrayal. But the whole idea of suffering and knowing Him in the power of His resurrection and His suffering is so key because we are invited into a place of intimacy, a place of knowing Him in the most vulnerable state. And I want to invite you. I'm not a, I'm not a theologian on suffering, 
I can't do that, but I know that God has invited me into this place of suffering, not to look for suffering to flog myself and not base my spirituality on it, but to be invited into a privilege. If I were to share my most painful moments with somebody, that it's, it's really a privilege, isn't it? But God shared with us that moment when he was vulnerable and naked on the cross. And he says, would you share my suffering? I'm really inspired by people who live an abandoned life when they give everything like Paul and say, I count all things as loss for the excellencies of knowing Christ. And as we, as we just go into a time of worship, can we just posture ourselves, God, I don't understand what's happening in my life, but I'm willing to embrace the power of your resurrection. I'm willing to embrace the fellowship of your suffering that I may know you and live an abandoned life.